Welcome back to our listeners to the Dish with Dina podcast. Thank you so much for joining us again. Today, my guest is Cheyenne Washington. And almost a continuation from our last episode, Cheyenne and I dish about our early childhood kitchen experiences, food security, and the plight of the urban farmer. Cheyenne is currently a student in farm school and has completed her Bachelor of Science degree. She is a food justice advocate who wants to take care of our land and our earth. So sit back, enjoy the conversation, and let's dish. Welcome, Cheyenne Washington, to the Dish with Dina podcast. Share with our listeners how you and I came to meet and know each other. Well, in 2018, I took your class, Food, Society, and Health, uh, for the Dietetics, Food, and Nutrition uh, Bachelor Program at Lehman College. Tell us now about some of your earliest food memories, because that particular class is kind of what, um, you know, got me thinking in all of this stuff about the cultural discussions, the regional conversations, the populations that exist, all the different food ways that we looked at and read about in that class, and how we wanted to kind of gain cultural sensitivity to all of that to understand that, you know, not everybody eats the same way, but we all do eat. And so we have some stories to share. So tell us a little bit about where that story started for you. Well, my family is originally from the South specifically Georgia and the Carolinas. And I grew up around a lot of Southern cooking, but um, as far as I could remember from the ages of like one to being maybe eight years old, I didn't like the food very much. I didn't really enjoy the rich flavors. And so my doctor actually said that I was underweight um, as a child. And I was like extremely small, but um, I feel like the first time I can remember like enjoying food, it was with my next door neighbor. Uh, her name was Carmen. She would give me Ensure, <laughs> um, which you know is a meal replacement, mm-hmm. and I thought of it as yummy milk <laughs> as a child. <laughs> um, and then she would also feed me like authentic Puerto Rican dishes. Um, And I really enjoyed that. And I also, that's where I started to gain weight. (laughs) So from there, that's when I started to indulge more in my family's cultural foods. And I I ate way more. And uh, my family, we eat things anywhere from like red rice, yellow rice, black eyed peas, lima beans, and collard greens that are like traditionally cooked in turkeys I think smoked turkey neck bones and uh cabbage that is traditionally cooked in uh I think they cook it in pig fat and um okra and stuffing and like all of those different kinds and all of the proteins that you can imagine chicken prepared in many ways and turkey wings and pork chops or fried fish foods like that that are like really rich and uh yeah they're yummy but they're really rich and can be unhealthy when consumed in excess 
and excess. That's always the thing, right? So I have a question though. So with all of this yummy cooked food there and the fact that you were kind of younger at that point, were you allowed in the kitchen? Were there certain people that were allowed to, you know, quote unquote, allowed to be cooking and certain people who could not set foot in the kitchen? How did that work in your family environment? So for the most part, my grandmother did most of the cooking and she is a woman who likes to be in the kitchen alone. She will make a feast alone. No one has to help. Um, and she'll make your plate too. So <laughs> when I was younger, I don't remember being in the kitchen much until I got older and I started inquiring about, oh, well, Grandma, how did you make this? Or how did you make that? And then she'd share her recipes with me. And now we have a relationship where I can be in the kitchen and help her now that she's older. <laughs> <laughs> she'll allow it she'll allow it i i like yeah. asking that because oftentimes we have different uh you know kind of like environments and dynamics in our family and a lot of times for the people that i've sometimes the people i've spoken with before in my family as well uh with the italian upbringing and the fact that i i am the child of immigrants that it was mostly the girls in the kitchen the women in the kitchen and the guys you know hanging out watching tv or playing soccer outside or just being completely outside of that and then once food was ready you know we would then serve everybody and we would all sit down to eat and so for us on sundays that was like a big deal like everybody who at the time when i was younger we had you know a large family i still have a large family but at the time it was a lot smaller smaller than it is now and so we would be with my grandma and my mom my dad my brother our cousins like it just felt like a table of about 20 or so people all the time and people would bring their um significant others or friends would show up and that was a thing like every sunday we would have sunday dinner at my grandmother's house did you engage in anything that was kind of like a regular feast or even if it was like certain nights of the week or um any kind of holidays that felt really big and important to you yeah I was just about to say Sunday dinners are also really important in my family too uh, I feel like that's the one day of the week that my mom can cook as well and you know because she works and she's providing for me and my grandma and my aunt, like everyone so um, that's the one day where she can take the time out to actually put some food on the table for everyone. And Sunday dinners, as I can remember it, as a child and a teenager, it was always really good. <laughs> um, and then, of course, like Thanksgiving and Christmas time, I feel like those are the two days that my family really has like a really huge feast because it's not only my grandmother making like 15 dishes it's like everybody my grandmother has 14 brothers and sisters so everyone is cooking a feast we have families so. oh my gosh so not only are they all bringing a dish but like legit you have to actually feed a small army when you're there yeah <laughs> it's not just like what do you there's only six people here what are you doing grandma no 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 there's going to be like 500 so we're, we're hooking you up is there um, anything, since we're kind of close to the end of the year right now, is there anything that you are looking forward to? Are you going to be with family at this time? Do those traditions still exist, you know, with the current state of affairs that we're in? Are you all in the same house or, you know, nearby in the neighborhood with each other? Well, because of where we are with the pandemic, I feel like this year is going to be a little different. Um my family had a recent passing, so my uncle passed away um, due to the virus, and 
I think that kind of has people on edge about gathering. So I think we're going to do like small, intimate Thanksgiving, Christmas dinners instead of doing like the big family dinners at like my Aunt Mary's house, um, who also lives in the Bronx. Um, But, you know, it's just best to keep everyone's immediate families together during the holidays right now. Yeah. And my condolences to you about the passing of your uncle. Thank you for sharing that with us. And also the fact that it does kind of um, put things in perspective of, okay, maybe we should, you know, just take this time to be apart. It's not like we can't come back together. Hopefully things will uh, get back to, you know, quote unquote normal, as we like to say in, in, you know, as soon as possible. And then next year we can do something a little bit more inviting and fun yeah, I'm really big on FaceTime with my family members. So I'll probably be FaceTiming people, especially since my birthday is like two days after Thanksgiving. So I feel like a lot of people are going to be reaching out anyways, and we can spend time in that way. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's nice. So, Cheyenne, then take me forward a little bit in anything that had evolved from when you were a child, having been somewhat of like an under eater at that point and then kind of getting, you know, some, some person outside of your family to recognize and start, um, you know, giving you their dishes. And then you, you kind of migrated back into being able to feel a bit more comfortable at food. How did that play a role or did that play a role in you venturing in to getting your degree or, you know, going into the, the science of food and nutrition? Yeah. So I feel like when I was a teenager, that had the greatest impact on me knowing what I wanted to do, um, specifically in regards to my education and going to Lehman and you know studying dietetics, food and nutrition. So when I was in the grades ninth through 11th, I would often eat out with my friends during lunch or after school. And I'd even have takeout at home for dinner. And I'd have like, you know, Chinese food or fast food like Popeyes or like Wendy's, whatever was was close in the neighborhood. And until I got old enough to learn how to cook, that's what I was eating most of the time. And so in the 12th grade, I had a anatomy and physiology teacher who kind of turned my whole life around. Um, and thank you, Ms. Shobita, <laughs> <laughs> because um, she really put my health into perspective for me and made me understand like what I was putting into my body um, and what it was doing for me or what it wasn't doing for me and how it wasn't serving me. And I think from there, that's when I Mm -hmm. started to like, I guess I realized, oh, I'm passionate about this. I care about this because I see everyone in my neighborhood is doing the same things that I'm doing and not enough people are advocating for our health. So I thought, okay, like maybe I could see myself being a nutritionist. Let me study, you know, dietetics, food and nutrition in the Bronx at Lehman, because that's where I'm from. And that's the community that I want to impact. So that definitely uh, my childhood into like adulthood had a huge impact on like me finding myself there and studying that. Yeah. And I was going to say too, it's really, (laughs) it's lovely. A lot of times when we have these discussions, especially for those of us in the health and wellness uh, profession, we do come from a place of either we've had our own issues with our own health 
uh, you know, conditions, or we've struggled to find answers to something, or we've worked with our family members to try to help them manage their conditions. And so I think that really plays a nice role when we are able to venture into our careers of having that compassion towards people and understanding that it's not as easy as some people think about just changing whole directions. Like for you, you know, you, you had that kind of aha moment in that class where it triggered something in you to move forward and do something in a positive way to improve your health. But, you know, how many times do we talk about when we meet with people that sometimes, unfortunately, it's I don't want to say like in one ear and out the other, but, you know, everybody has to have their own time when they're ready to hear what needs to be said and then take it upon themselves to move forward. So I love that not only did you have that discussion and it benefited your own health, but in doing so now, you are really trying to give back to the community and keep it local and be that neighborhood go-to resource to help improve the health of the people who, you know, you are you're involved with. So I love that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So in the case of what you're doing now, what is a current day in the life of you? Tell us a little bit about your school years, your college years, how all that stuff went and where where you're where you're at these days. I graduated from Lehman in 2019 and I decided that I wanted to learn more about gardening. Now, it started off as just a like wanting gardening to be a hobby and thinking, oh, if I'm going to be your local neighborhood nutritionist, maybe I could know how to grow some of the food that I'm encouraging people to eat. And um, I don't know, life took me by storm, you know, social media. And I came across the Farm School of New York City, which is the school that I'm currently attending. So at the Farm School of New York City, I'm currently getting my two-year certificate where I will be able to um, be like an urban gardener in New York City. And um, it's, it is to garden in the city, but for me, it's bigger than gardening. It's more about farming now on a large scale to be able to feed people. Um, It started off with me just wanting to feed people in the Bronx. And now I'm looking at, you know, Black, Indigenous, people of color, communities that are underserved in cities like New York City, but not just, you know, here, um, and wanting to feed as many people as I can so that they can have access to fruits and vegetables and, like, healthy alternatives. Um, But, yeah, that's uh, the school that I'm in right now, and it has allowed me to have so many opportunities where I'm farming on the weekends as much as possible. Sometimes I'm upstate at Fringe Farm with a with someone who actually goes to school with me, um, who was able to purchase 40 acres, which is amazing. Um, so it allows us to really do the work and like do the work on our terms um, with the values that we have in place. And so... I'm able to go upstate um, as often as possible. Um, And I also am a part of a garden in the Bronx. It's Kelly Street Garden. It's near Hunts Point um, in the Bronx, which is known as a a big underserved community um, for people who are familiar with the different um, parts of the Bronx. And um, there I garden on... Mondays and Saturdays on the Saturdays that I am free and we give away 
all of our produce that we grow for free on Saturdays from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. So that's been really fulfilling for me to do uh, this last summer. Um, yeah, that is fascinating. I have I'm as I always do. I'm scribbling like a million notes here. I have so many questions. So my first question is the Farm School of New York City, knowing that you just said New York City, are we actually talking about like the ground? Or are we talking about quote unquote urban farming with like alternative methods of hydroponic stuff or going onto rooftops? Rooftops? How did how did that structure? Um, or I should say, how did they teach you to farm in New York City? What was that all about? Yeah, so each month we're taking new classes. And so we are learning how to farm on the ground, right, in the soil, direct sowing. We're learning how to build garden beds and flower beds and grow within, you know, those mediums. And then we're also learning how to do aquaponics and hydroponics and rooftop farming windowsill farming like whatever like we're learning how to garden and farm wherever you can because all you need is space to be able to do it right and so for anyone listening all of these terms that we're saying when we think of farming and gardening we think of you know oh there's grass and there's dirt and you plant things in the soil but we are also talking about alternative ways of allowing plants to grow using things like water and air and uh different kinds of bugs and things along those lines where the right the nitrogen kind of mimics what it, the soil would be but you're really using a water base in that case so you could do things um like that or you could also just take your whole entire uh plant bed and stick it up on the roof because in new york city as a lot of you can imagine there's not a ton of land there everything's kind of high but not wide and so you know we're trying to find alternative ways of doing that and a lot of people have done rooftop gardenings is that right the way that i explained that cheyenne yeah, you explained yeah, it perfectly. Thank you. And I love that you have kind of a, a hand in a little bit of things like you are doing the school stuff, which is teaching you the what you need to know to actually do this. And then you're also doing the Kelly Street Gardens, which is, um, as you mentioned, in Hunts Point. So again, if nobody's aware of that, that had been a very underserved community. And ironically, I guess, unfortunately, ironically, uh, they are close to a lot of food warehouse places and distribution places, but yet they had no access. And so this is really the conversation that I think I want to make sure people are aware of. Just because you live next to food doesn't mean you can get to it, whether it's through socioeconomic means, like I cannot afford to get that food, or it's not actually available to you because it's meant for somebody else. Or you're living in an area that is not served at all because it's mostly, you know, fast food places or it's a very far way that people have to go to get fresh produce or they have produce available, but it's not nutritious. It's like, you know, gone through the ringer. It's traveled many miles. And by the time it gets to where it gets to, it's lost some of its potency. And so, Cheyenne, I think that's wonderful that you're trying to get involved in that whole like, you know, food policy and programmatic type of thing is about, about delivering access and, and establishing food security for so many who are not secure. And this is America and you would think, Oh, food, right? No, it's not. It's like, there are a lot of issues. Um, is that part of your discussion too, in the farm school? Like, did they talk about efficacy and those things too, or is it just, you know, hands-on farming? Right. And I'm glad you brought all of that up because I feel like that's been my experience with living and being from the Bronx. I know that food exists, but the food that I have access to is really low quality and it, it doesn't benefit my health at all. And that's what I grew up on. 
And now I'm kind of trying to change the status quo, not only for myself, but for the people within the neighborhood and then like for our future. And so in farm school, when I started, I did think that I was going just to simply learn how to grow food. And then once I got there, I was like, oh, my God, this is about food Mm. justice. Like this is about just learning. Because if I wanted to learn how to grow something, I could go on YouTube or like any social media platform and probably watch a couple videos to show me, you know, a how to video, how to plant like a tomato or like herbs, you know, but we're more so learning about food justice and food advocacy and like how to be leaders within the food system so that we can bring change to the communities that need yeah. it the most. Oh gosh, I love that. I want to talk a little bit more about that too, because what fascinates me sometimes is I think the lay person, you know, who may or may not shop at a farmer's market or even understand where their food comes from, I don't think they know exactly what it entails to have a farm. And so with the discussions that we have oftentimes that, you know, the, the cheaper or more affordable foods are the things that are not as nutrient dense, or there's this whole push to, you know, grains and corn and not like leafy greens and things that should feel like they could be accessible and available, but they seem to be so expensive sometimes when we're talking to people about figuring out how to work on a budget, but then there's a lot of different moving parts that are involved in that. So when farmers do get a plot of land, how does that work in what they need to do to actually be a business or to at least provide to wherever they need to provide to? Is there a lot of red tape involved in there too, as far as who's funding, you know, any, uh, as far as, is it a, is it a thriving business? Are you, just like any business, does it take a couple of years to kind of see a profit turn? Um, have you learned anything about the actual, like, you know, management of the land in that way as well and creating a business for yourself? Yes, I have actually. So we do take like enterprise classes within farm school. And so they are equipping those who do want to, you know, be a farmer uh, as a career. You know, they're teaching us different things. Um and so I don't know everything, but I can tell you what I yeah. do know. I do know that it is going to take a couple years for me to make a profit, right? Because I want to be a farmer and I want to own land. And I, you know, I just want to sell food to farmer's markets or at farmer's markets or grocery stores of that nature. But um, yeah, it, it takes time to make a profit because land is very expensive. I feel like that is the biggest problem for anyone who doesn't come from like generational wealth or that doesn't have access to resources or grants you know there are grants that you can apply to um, which is something that I'm looking at right now but if you don't have the money to purchase land then that kind of puts you you know some steps behind and so if you do have the opportunity to finally have access to land and it happens to be yours you're paying off the land and you're paying for your tools to be able to build the infrastructures that you're going to need to have a farm so some of those things would be like high tunnels and hoop houses and depending on whether you want to have a bunch of garden beds which would be unnecessary because you want to you know direct sow straight into the land Um, You're going to need to buy seeds. You're going to need to buy tools for weeding. You're just going to have to buy so much stuff. You need to have like 
an irrigation system so that you're watering your plants when it doesn't rain. And so there's so much that goes into being a farmer that uh, it's a big investment and the tur- the turnout uh, is it's definitely going to take a couple years to make a profit or even break even. I've been in contact with a lot of people who are doing the work that I also want to do and I see how these people are far older than I am. Like I'm 22 years old and I'm talking with 50 year olds that are just able with with the same background as I have with like no generational wealth, no savings, none of that, uh, any of those things. Um, I see them starting from scratch and starting these farms and they're like, oh, we're able to pay ourselves $8 an hour this year. Um, or we're just breaking even or, you know, so it's really tough to know that like, that's the work that I want to do. And like, that's not necessarily going to be my experience, but I have to be prepared for that to be my experience if that does happen. And um, that's the whole point of like advocate, advocating for the resources and the space and leadership for all people of color to be able to go into that field and then also do the work that's necessary to bring you know, healthy foods into the communities where you don't see it. And this brings me to my next question, which is more so based on the actual farming methods. A lot of times people get very confused about what organic means and what conventional means. And, you know, we often say uh, a lot of farmers do use organic methods, but they might not necessarily be officially um, labeled as such because that's quite time consuming and expensive for them to go through that process as well. But sometimes like are there pros and cons of certain things? So to talk in the, or I should say to bring the discussion in about sustainability, right? Just mere fact of people who on earth want to do better by it and then be more conscientious of what they're not only putting in their bodies, but also like where that stuff is coming from. And I know that is something that is near and dear to your heart as well, as far as purpose and sustainability. So can you tell us a little bit about what that means and in the sense of like, is it sustainable for you as a farmer to farm sustainably? Is that going to be something that you see happening in the future of people wanting to change the direction and stop, you know, with the way that I see it, very, you know, convenience foods, not a lot of people are um, too thrilled about the price they pay at farmer's markets versus going to their local supermarket where everything's in bulk and not maybe as fresh and high quality. So can you share with us a little bit about what your thoughts are on that and those practices and maybe define some of that to some of us who might not, you know, be aware of what, what these words mean? Yeah. So I definitely understand people who feel like it may be more expensive to shop at a farmer's market versus um, getting a conventionally grown uh, produce at the supermarket. And so like conventionally grown means foods that are grown with pesticides. And the reason that it's cheaper is because it takes way less labor to manage a farm that's conventionally grown versus a farm where you are growing everything organic. That means you're using natural pesticides that are not harmful to the fruits and vegetables and not harmful to the person that's going to be consuming them. So for instance, at the garden that I'm at, when I am practicing using different natural pesticides, 
I'm mixing water with neem oil and I'm going to each and every individual plant and I'm spraying them down. Or I'll use a mixture of water with Dr. Bronner's peppermint soap because the peppermint oil is going to act as a pesticide for all of the insects that also want to eat the yummy fruits and vegetables that we're growing. Um, And that takes a lot of time and a lot of labor. And sometimes people don't have the money to pay people the labor it takes to have an organic farm. And so that's why at farmer's markets, you see that the prices are higher. But I personally think that if I had my own farm, I would definitely do it all organic. I don't think it's going to be easy, um, but I think it's going to be worth it in the end for the people who are going to be consuming those products. And so the issue is that when it comes to accessibility, you know, we can definitely say, oh, I see your point there. You know, if you don't have the money to spend, yes, of course, you're going to do what is budget friendly for you. And I, I get that. But the question really is, why isn't what you want to do the more sustainable, organic way of farming? Why isn't that? budget friendly and obviously you're not one to answer that question because it's much further and deeper than all of us you know this goes through the whole food policy and the food system and the food supply uh head honchos i think that exist but the more people know and understand about this just like anything right advocate write your congressperson uh you know vote in a direction that is going to focus on sustainability and hopefully things might change in the future uh because as far as I I remember these conversations were starting in like the 80s and 90s and we're already in 2020. Like what is going on, America? So are we there yet? And do you see, Cheyenne, do you have hope that some people could be swayed to put their money literally where their mouth is and where their health is in, in the near future? Yeah, I agree. Uh, in a lot of the books that I'm reading, I it's like the things that I think are important for the time right now. They were talking about these things in the 70s mm-hmm. and the 80s. And, um, it's taking a long time for us to come around. And I don't really know why. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that people care about the right now and they're not thinking about the future and the condition of the earth and will it be livable for human beings when we are no longer here. Um, and so I do, I do have hope. Deep down inside, I have hope. (laughs) I personally have like looked within myself and I've thought about what I could do to, I I don't know, sway Mm -hmm. people into putting their money where their mouth is. I think a lot of it has to do with education. I like just from my own experience, I feel like the more you know, the easier it is to make better decisions. Um, And a lot of people are not educated in these kinds of things. And so ideas that I've had was to, you know, take it to the streets and like really talk to people. And this is, you know, prior to the pandemic, this is when I was like writing out my business plan. And I was trying to think like, how can I really get to people outside of social media? And I have like a little table and I have like all these pamphlets and all this stuff that I planned on just standing on the street and like talking to people within the community to see like, are people interested in changing and you know, how do they feel? Do they care? And how can I educate people in saying, hey, like, here's a list of your local farmers markets that's happening in your neighborhood. Come support people that are like doing the work. And 
you know, helping people make better decisions when they are shopping in their local supermarkets and showing people that you can make changes in your supermarket. I feel like a lot of people think that, oh, my supermarket sells what it sells and that's end all be all. But if you talk to people within the stores, you can actually ask them to order different things. And I only know that because I've done that and I'm a particular person. But um, yeah, I, I do want to challenge the status quo within underserved neighborhoods. And so I feel like at least if I'm thinking about it, you know, and I'm working towards doing it, I know that there's hope that we can change some minds, even if what I want to do is on a small scale. Um, And I do see people doing the same things that I want to do on a grand scale and over social media and all of those things, because that's what we can do right now. For the most part, people only feel comfortable with having their Zoom calls and going live on IG and, you know, doing what they can over all of the different social media platforms, specifically to make change within the food system. Right. But I do think it's possible. It's possible. Anything is possible. (gasps) Oh my gosh. Well, first, I am full of warm and fuzzies right now. You've given me goosebumps because I've got 30 years on you and I do not have, I've said, I think I've said this before. I don't have children. And oftentimes I think, what do I care? Right? Like, what do I, I'm not, who am I leaving behind? Whatever. Well, I'm leaving behind everyone else. And I do give a crap about where this world is going. And I am so thrilled and proud and grateful to have you as that pioneer moving forward in that direction and being there for the generation to come, your generation and the generation that are going to come after you as well to hopefully continue advocating and educating and empowering people. And I 100% agree, even if it's just something small of asking your grocer, hey, I notice you don't carry whatever this produce item is. What's up with that? You're the consumer that if you don't show up to their store, they go out of business. So I'm so glad to hear you say that, Cheyenne, to, you know, to kind of empower the listeners or whoever else is resonating, uh, who this is resonating with, to ask questions, find out a little bit more about where stuff comes from, get to know your farmers and your farmer's market. Even if you can't buy anything, go and just hang out and chat with the vendors, make it like a field trip or something when we are allowed to go back outside and play. And in the meantime, I love that, you know, what you're saying too, Cheyenne, about utilizing the virtual platforms as best as we can, even though yes, farming and, you know, shopping is like a tangible thing. We might not have the ability to do that, but at least we're not just shutting down the conversation. So you are, are giving me hope because I've been cynical. I have feel, felt like there's, um, I just feel very, very sad when I see people not really caring about anything other than themselves. And it is, I hate to say it, it does feel like an, an American thing when I do talk, to, because I do know so many people from so many other places across this world that it does feel like an American thing. So I'm not exactly sure why that started in that way, especially since a lot of us are from other countries. So um, it's a weird thing that I, I just can't wrap my head around, not to judge anyone, but I'm curious as to why, like why people don't care about where things come from or why they don't take responsibility for being a part of this earth and, and you know, protecting it. So I, I'm so, so happy to have been able to, you know, chat with you about this because I think this is really important. So thank you for sharing all that. I appreciate it. 
we're not done yet. I have a couple more, <laughs> I have a couple more questions <laughs> because as you were talking, I'm like, I remember those little scratch pads and things that you were showing me at the beginning of the year. And so what is the future you right now, if we're still kind of doing this, like when do you, do you, you know, how long is the schooling go for? What's the end look like for you? What's the next steps? So tell us a little bit about what you are focusing on in moving forward, you know, next year or the years to come next couple of years to come. I definitely remember those conversations we had at the beginning of the year. I was so excited to do the work and then life happened. And so um, that definitely affected where I'm at in farm school right now. I plan to have graduated. I should have been graduating, I think, this month. Mm. But that's not going to happen. We're going to just hold out till next year. I've been taking classes all year, but not being able to do the work hands-on really, I don't feel like I've completed the program. I don't feel like I can go out there into the world and and do it. So I'm going to wait until next year. And hopefully, fingers crossed, 2021, I will be able to be on farmland way more often um, and really practicing those skills. But as of right now, I applied to a farming job for the growing season of 2021. It's upstate at a farm called Glenwood. And they are looking to pay someone a living wage, (laughs) which is important. (laughs) Um, And the decision making of saying, hey, I'm going to farm all year round. I'm hoping, you know, fingers crossed that I get it. I'm trying to manifest it. Um, But if I do not get the job that will still be no problem i will still go upstate to my friend's farm um that i told Mm -hmm. you about from farm school fringe farm it's between albany and vermont so it's a little it's a little further um and that's what stops me from going more often than not but i'm still going to be doing the work and getting the hands-on experience now that i have a space to do so a lot of space to do so Yeah, I'm going to be practicing as much as I can and learning as much as I can because I'm from an urban environment, so I don't have the advantage of someone from a rural environment that maybe has a little bit more knowledge of how to tend Mm -hmm. land. You know, I live in a small box apartment, so (laughs) I don't know much about farming other than what I've read. But um, yeah, I want to I want to put in the work. So that's what I'm looking forward to next year. If I still find myself in the city, I'm going to continue being at Kelly Street Garden um, and giving up my time being at the farm. And we didn't speak about this, but you know that I work at Trader Joe's. Mm -hmm. And so I would still keep my job there um, and see where life takes me. I am currently looking at a Black Farmers Fund which has been nerve wracking because it really puts everything into perspective. I'm more of a doer. (laughs) Like I would rather just do the work and not talk about it or not be behind the scenes on like an administrative level. Kind of just want to be with the land and just growing food. But um, thinking about, okay, now what happens if you get your own farm and what does that look like? And, how do you really write a, a business plan that's going to allow you to apply for grants and acquire, you know, large amounts of money so that I can have land? Um, 
that's what I've been looking at right now. I'm currently filling out an application so that I can be considered in receiving money so that I can be a farmer in New York State. Um, I don't know if I'm going to stay in New York State forever. I'm not attached to how I'm going to be giving people access to food. I just know that that's my purpose and that's what I'm mm-hmm. supposed to do by any means. So um, if I find myself farming outside of New York, that would be amazing too. But as of right now, I'm really passionate about the community here because this is where all of my friends and my family and just everyone, everything that I know is here. So I wouldn't mind starting farming here. for people. Yeah, I think you and I have had these conversations before coming from a place of what we call abundance, right? Like in the sense of manifesting things and trying to visualize our future and knowing that we are to be of service to others and that you don't necessarily have to know how you're going to get there. You already making the actions. And so there's an opportunity there that's going to happen if it's not happening already. And then other opportunities will follow and that'll lead you in the direction of what you're doing and your, you know, your future goals. And I also love, because I think I do this as well. I like starting small, like local and working out in concentric circles, as I like to say, where it's like, I have my neighborhood, my local city stuff, then maybe I'll venture out to statewide things. And then maybe I'll go national. And then one day I will take over the world in some way. And so, or, you know, in the sense of like, whatever I'm doing will have an effect globally is, you know, kind of what I'm saying there. And I think with you too, because if you're talking about food justice and all that stuff, that's, that's political stuff. Like that stuff comes from higher, higher, higher places. And so, uh, you know, you might be getting involved in the board of directors of something at some point being a farmer or something like that. So, you know, this is going to be exciting to watch if I'm still alive by the time all this happens, Cheyenne, which I hope I am because I've got, I still have a lot to accomplish myself. And I also um, wanted to find out from you as far as if anyone is interested in pursuing this as well, especially I know right now, like we keep saying, you know, the hands-on thing is obviously very challenging, but if anybody's interested in this, interested in this, are there certain steps that they can take as far as, do you have resources available? Any Instagram people that you enjoy following? Anything that you want to share to kind of like encourage people to just learn a little bit more about what this is that you're doing and what they could do as well? Definitely just even starting with farm school. So if you Google Farm School of New York City, you should come across their website. And if you want to go as far as me, uh, you can definitely apply to be a part of one of their cohorts. But you can, even if you don't want to be, you know, within the school, you can still sign up for their newsletter Mm -hmm. where you'll have access to jobs and opportunities. You'll have access to, like, updates on how the U.S. policies are affecting farmers within the United States. They also send out work days for volunteering at various farms or events that's going on in New York State um, that are grounded in food justice, which is amazing. So I definitely recommend that and also follow them on Instagram because they do have a page. Um, And also... Uh, bugs that's the black urban growers so every year they have a black farmers and urban gardeners conference Um, you can find them online you have to look up black farmers and urban gardeners conference they have a website 
Um, and at their conference, they have a panel of farmers and they have a series of workshops that are available. And I feel like the workshops are really where you get to have some like hands-on practice. You can learn a wide range of things from like how to make compost or a cooking class based off of your harvest or how to hone your leadership skills within the food system. So like, I think that's a really great resource and um i know a lot of people who are part of that conference uh i'm gonna link to all this stuff as you're talking i'm actually typing things in and looking things up and i'm already i'm already included myself on the mailing list (laughs) (laughs) this is this is the the benefit i have of actually just sitting at my computer while i'm talking to you uh because yes i'm looking at the instagram page and the uh black urban but black farmers and urban gardeners um, conferences and so on. They don't have an Instagram account, but they do have a Facebook and a Twitter account. So I'll post, you know, I'll link some of this stuff on to our episode together. And if anybody wants to get in touch with you, are you publicly available on social media or on LinkedIn or something like that? If they wanted to just, you know, say hi and follow you? Yeah, I'm definitely on Instagram. That's about it. I'm not a tech savvy mm-hmm. person. <laughs> I'm actually known as a grandma. I don't like te- <laughs> I don't like technology much, but I do have Instagram, so you can follow me at Cheyenne underscore Rain. I'll spell it out: S H Y A N N E underscore R A Y N E E. Or I do I did start a page that was supposed to supplement what I want to do specifically in the Bronx. So you can also follow me at the Bronx Farmers. The Bronx Farmers. That's an Instagram page as well, you're saying? Oh, Yeah, that's my Instagram page. I took yeah. the name so that no one else. <laughs> I'm kidding. Any, anyone from the Bronx or from New York in general who ha- shares the same values that I have can be a mm-hmm. part of this. I'm actually waiting mm-hmm. to, you know, find my community. That was the whole point of me wanting to go out into the streets and really talk to people right. to find you know, my people who want to also do this work and, um, yeah, and take over and have that Instagram page to show the work that we're doing. I have been gathering some footage of what I've done this year because I did have to work yeah. alone a lot, like being at the garden or being at the farms with social distancing within the pandemic. But you can definitely follow me there. I'm I'm active on the page. I just don't have any. Understood. Else. And, you know, it's funny that you say that because my brand you know, handle dish with Dina has been with me since I think 2003 or 2005 when I used to blog and do all these other things. And, um, and I snagged a a handle and a profile on every, like, I don't even know what half of these social media things are. I'm like, yeah, I'm taking that, that name because I don't want anybody to steal it from me. And, uh, so I, I'm (laughs) glad that you did that. You kind of secured that, that brand for yourself. And the fact that you're also in you know, encouraging people like come, like, I want you to come join me. I want you to be a part of my coalition in this way. I want us to do better and be better and, and have social justice and land sovereignty and all of the other wonderful things that you're pursuing. Well, okay. So, you know, my, you've heard the episodes, what is on your plate today? As in, it is an evening time right now when we're recording this and it is midweek. So is there anything that you're doing at the end of tonight that you have on your plate or, you know, getting prepared for tomorrow? And then also what's the next meal that you're eating? Oh, that's <laughs> a great question. Cause I actually know the answer to both. <laughs> so tonight I plan on taking a hot shower and probably doing a wind down <sighs> stretch. 
I've been in the house today and I stretched this morning, but I do want to like stretch again, keep my muscles moving and be active as I usually do work out. But today was a rainy day, so I decided to stay inside. Um, I'll probably read a book because that will put me to sleep really quickly. As you know, I work from 6 to 2 a.m., so I have to be up really early. (laughs) So I need something to help accelerate that process of going to sleep. And tonight I will be reading Why the Cage Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. And my next meal will be a yummy smoothie tagged along with a dragon fruit in the morning. Um, In my smoothie tomorrow, I'm actually going to make the same exact smoothie I made today because it was amazing. I don't know if you saw my post on Instagram yet. I didn't. You didn't? I'm going to go. I'm looking right now. I I, (laughs) You know, oh, guys, I have a background in nutrition. Don't forget that. (laughs) And I spoke about why I put, um, you know, why I put what I put in my smoothie this morning. I was very intentional about it and my digestion. And so I'll probably do the same thing. I put strawberries and blueberries. And then I added some mangoes, pineapple, and papaya. And then I'll add some chia seeds and some coconut shreds and then water. And I'll blend it all up and it'll be amazing. I love it. I'm actually, I'm sneaking a peek on yeah. it right now. So yeah, just the fact that your, your gut health and your tummy is all nice, nice, and it's filling and those chia seeds give it a little pop of, uh, you know, plant, plant-based protein and healthy fats and fantastic. I love that. I love that you also know what you're going, going to eat tomorrow. Like that's one of the things we tend to share with people as well. You know, it helps to plan out your days ahead so that you're able to be productive in other ways. And if you enjoy certain foods, like, make them again you're allowed to have the same thing twice you're allowed to have dinner for breakfast like whatever you want to do it's just food and enjoy it so my dear it's been a pleasure speaking with you I always love these interviews but especially with my former students current friends and you know future colleagues in this in this uh, profession and in this world I cannot wait to see where your life takes you and I know that you are destined for great big things so thank you again for taking time out of your day Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Dish with Dina podcast. I am Dina D'Alessandro, registered dietitian, nutritionist, founder, and chief executive life changer at Dish with Dina, and I'm also your host. If you like what you heard, I would be so grateful if you could subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and share this with others who you think might benefit from what we have to offer on these episodes. You can also join my mailing list at dishwithdina.com or email me at info at dishwithdina.com with questions, comments, feedback, and if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode because everybody eats and we all have a story to share. I hope you tune back in next week when we dish again.